Our Old Testament lesson this morning comes from Exodus chapter 16, which can be found on page 111 in our Pew Bibles. Exodus 16, verses 19 through 36. And before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day that you have made. And Lord, we do thank you for your word which you have given to us. Lord, we pray that you would help us uh, as we hear it read and proclaimed to really hear it or to understand it in order to be ready to receive it into our hearts and in our lives today. God, that by your word and by your spirit, you would change us evermore, even today, into the people that you made us to be in relationship with you through Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. Exodus chapter 16, verses 19 through 36. Uh, we are reading a section where the Israelite people have come out of slavery in Egypt and they are still on their way to, um, to Mount Sinai. They have not yet made it there. Uh, so no Ten Commandments yet, but they're already past the Ten Plagues from Egypt. So that's kind of where we are. All right. Uh, starting verse 19, then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. That's the, uh, the manna that God had provided. Verse 20, however, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as they needed, and when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person. And the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a Sabbath uh, tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. So they saved it until morning as Moses commanded, and it did not stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where they are on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day. The people of Israel called the bread manna. It was white like coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey. Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded. Take an omer of manna and keep it for the generations to come so they can see the bread I gave you to eat in the wilderness when I brought you out of Egypt. So Moses said to Aaron, Take a jar and put an omer of manna in it. Then place it before the Lord to be kept for the generations to come. As the Lord commanded Moses, Aaron put the manna with the tablets of the covenant law so that it might be preserved. The Israelites ate manna 40 years until they came to a land that was settled. They ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan. An omer is one-tenth of an ephah. I love that last little bit where it tells us exactly how much it is and uses another measurement that we have no idea. Thanks for that. Just another reminder that uh, <laughs> this was written originally to a people group very different than ourselves using different measuring systems, etc. Um, anyway, 
Turning now to our New Testament lesson, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. And uh, as we mentioned last week, I'll mention again that uh, this is in the second half of Ephesians, where the first half of Ephesians, uh, Paul is telling the church in Ephesus, this is what God has done for you in Jesus. This is what he is doing for you. This is what he will do. This is the situation. And now in the second half, it's, so here's now how you live. Here's how you live this out. So we don't start with this part uh, without understanding the rest, but we're going to read this for now. And if you, um, if you really want to benefit from this, you need to go back to the first uh, half of the chapter, or first half of the book to see how this is living out what he's been talking about in the first three chapters. Here we go. Uh, Ephesians 4, 17 through 24. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, this morning we are looking at uh, John chapter 6, verses uh, 30 through 42. And this is, this is coming in the middle of a kind of mini-series we're in, in, even in the book of John, where the five Sundays in September, we are in John chapter 6 for all five Sundays. And, uh, and it's kind of a difficult section to be in for a couple reasons. I'll tell you a couple of them right now. Uh, it is uh, it's a difficult section to be in, one, because there's so much in there that uh, I was going over the passage for this morning with Benjamin the other day, and he uh, responded, I can't remember the exact time frame you gave, but he said, and he said I could tell you. Uh, but I just read the few verses we have for today, and he's like, oh, you could, uh, you could spend a whole semester, did you say? Or, uh, three years. Yeah, you could spend three years on just this passage, because there's so much. It's so dense. There's so much in there. You are correct. And so we're, we're not going to be able to uh, really unpack everything here, uh, but just focus on a few things as we go through and how that relates to us t- today. The other reason, though, that makes this difficult is this is a particular section uh, where Jesus himself is preaching these things, and at the end of Jesus preaching these things, most of the people he's preaching to left. Well, maybe we shouldn't preach that. <laughs> If that's the response, you know, we don't want to be driving people away, right? And of course we don't want to be driving people away. On the other hand, we do want to be telling the truth. We do want to be proclaiming the message that the king has given us to proclaim. You know, the messenger does not get to uh, alter the message, but only deliver the message he's been given. And this is the message we've been given, and so it is what we're going to proclaim. And, uh, and as for the response, that's what we've been talking about uh, over the last couple of weeks, is 
not how did those people respond, but how are we going to respond? And there's actually a distinction, and we'll get to this in a couple of weeks when we uh, finish off this uh, mini-series in chapter 6, that at the end of, of all Jesus' teaching here, uh, there are two responses. A bunch of people leave, but the disciples stay. And, uh, and so we'll look at the, the differences and the reasons there. But I just want you to know up front that uh, there are things that Jesus is saying in this particular series that are uh, hard to accept and that were difficult for people for a variety of reasons. And they do, a lot of people do go away when they hear this. However, that is not the only possible response. That there is another response, and that is to receive what Jesus says as the truth and to see what that means actually as it works out in our lives. And that uh, as you go on from there, you see, of course, that is the response that, um, that actually leads to life. So here's where we are. John chapter 6, and uh, I'm going to give you a, a bit of a backstory first and get us into what Jesus is saying today. Backstory is Jesus has just done some amazing things. He has uh, fed 5,000 people, which is a little bit of bread and a few fish. Probably know that story. After he has fed uh, five, and it's 5,000 men and also the women and children, so a lot of people. So he feeds all the people. It's an amazing sign of uh, who he is. And we talk about it being like the, uh, the manna that God has um, had provided for the people in the wilderness. And here Jesus is in the wilderness, and he's providing them bread. And that's it, the same kind of thing. And this is what Jesus has been saying, is that I only do what I see my father doing, right? So it's the same kind of thing. It's what C.S. Lewis calls that family style of miracles, that whatever God is doing, that's what Jesus is doing. And there's this family style about it. He's not doing random things. He's doing what his father is doing. So there's, there's that. He uh, feeds them there. Then uh, he goes up on a mountain to pray because they want to come and make him a king by force. He's having none of that. He goes up on a mountain to pray, sends his disciples on. They get on a boat. They go across the lake. This is the Sea of Galilee. And when they get to the other side, uh, the, oh, before they get to the other side, Jesus walks on the water uh, and meets them, you know, kind of in the middle of the lake, like you do. And uh, this, again, we talk about is that family style of uh, that God is the one who uh, alone treads on the waters. He is the one, even in the very beginning, hovering above the waters. And so when you see Jesus walking on the water, we talked about how the disciples would have had the reaction uh, that many people today have of, not possible. People don't do that. You can't walk on the water. And that is why the disciples see this. They don't go, oh, hey, it's Jesus. Here he comes. But they're terrified. And they're like, that's not normal. People don't do that. And so we see again that Jesus is doing what only God does. And so we see, you know, we've seen sign after sign. And I'm, I've skipped a bunch of them that came earlier. We're just picking up here. And, uh, and they get to the other side. They're in Capernaum. And the crowds uh, follow them over there. They come over looking for where in the world Jesus might be. Go try to find the disciples because maybe uh, they'll meet up with Jesus later. And so they go to, uh, they go to Capernaum. They find uh, Jesus there. And they're like, how is he already here? And so uh, that is now the context of this conversation. They have eaten. And then uh, he left. He's now on the other side. They found him over there. And he said, and this is what we looked at last week, you're not looking for me because of the sign that you saw. You're looking, at me, you're looking for me because 
you had your fill of the loaves. That, that's what you want. You want another free meal. And that is uh, really what we're going to continue with today is that conversation that Jesus is having with these people. And he's having this in the synagogue uh, there in Capernaum, right on the edge of the Sea of Galilee. And uh, this is we're going to start in verse 30, but we have to back up just a little bit. Uh, where Jesus tells them not to work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. This which the Son, and this is verse 27, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him this God the Father has placed his seal of approval. And then they asked him, well, what must we do to do the works God requires? That's where we ended last week. Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. And so we talked about how they would have had, you know, ready to make their list of what all is it that God wants us to do, because we're, we're ready. We'll write all down, we'll, you know, do the best we can on doing these things. And he says, there's one work, one thing. Just believe in the one he has sent. Do that. <laughs> now, we don't have time to go through, uh, we may get to this in future weeks, of the way that John uses this language as he records the story of Jesus. Uh, and of Jesus saying this over and over, of the, the one that God has sent. And how he keeps describing himself that way as the one that God has sent. And uh, so, like I say, we don't have time for that. So I'm just going to leave that as your own homework assignment. Read through the Gospel of John again, but just be paying attention to that. Uh, how Jesus identified as the one who God has sent. Now, uh, it seems like that's an ambiguous phrase. Well, believe in the one he sent. Well, who could that be? Who could it possibly be he's talking about? And yet, here's where we begin. The, uh, the crowds know he's talking about himself. They know that he is the one that God has sent. And yet, here we go. Verse 30, so they asked him, what sign will you give us so that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of those None of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise them up at the last day. At this, the Jews there began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven. That's where we're going to stop. As I say, it keeps going. Uh, but 
for now? What is it that's being said? Uh, here's what I want us to look at. Like Benjamin said, we do not have the time. You could spend a lot of time on that, couldn't you? There's a lot in there that you could unpack. And so that's homework assignment number two. Spend some time reflecting on what all Jesus says, just right here. Um, but here's what I want us to look at, is uh, why it is that people were following Jesus. What that meant for them, and uh, what it is that Jesus says about that. They, they are following him for one reason, but he's calling people to follow him for a very different reason. So what is it they're wanting from him, and what is it that he's offering to them? These are different things, and this is where it comes down uh, to us as well. So if we go back uh, to the beginning, this is verse 30. So they asked him, what sign will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Has he already given them any signs by chance? He has, hasn't he? In fact, what is the sign? They didn't get to see him walking on the water. They may not know about that one. But they do know about one. What is the one that we, we know this particular crowd has seen? It's the feeding of the 5,000 men in, in the wilderness. So he's, uh, they have seen him feed multitudes, giving bread in uh, the wilderness, just like God gave manna in the past, right? That's the one that we know they've seen. And so what is it they ask for? Hey, why don't you give us a sign? What, you mean like yesterday? <laughs> you know? And then what they ask for is, uh, verse 31, you know, our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. In other words, We'd love to see a sign. You know, if you say we're supposed to believe you, we'd, we'd love to do that. We're all on board with that. Sure, of course we are. You just have to give us some signs so we know that you're really the one that you say you are. And, you know, if you don't have any ideas, we've got a great idea. Why don't you just feed us uh, bread in the wilderness like, um, like Moses did way back when? And again, you mean like yesterday? <laughs> like that is the exact thing that he just did. So why would they ask for that same sign again? If they just saw it yesterday, why are they asking for the same sign again? It's because they don't want a sign. They want bread. They don't want a sign. They want bread. They want another meal. That is what we, and that's what Jesus talked about uh, that we looked at last week. Um, ah, I'm on the wrong page. Uh, where he said, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. This is why they would ask for the same thing again. They don't want a sign. They want bread. And so this is, uh, when, you, when you're asking the question, why is it that they are following Jesus? I think this is an important question to ask because you could look at these people. What is it that Jesus is all the time saying? All the time saying is, come follow me, Right? Or come to me. And you look at those two things. Follow me, come to me. And you look at those all through the God. It's everywhere. This is what Jesus keeps on inviting people to. Come to me, come to me, come to me. Follow me, follow me, follow me. And so you look at these people and what are they doing? Hey, they're coming to Jesus. Hey, they're following. He goes from this place to this place and they're, they're there. They're going across the lake as well to follow Jesus. And we're like, very good. But are they really following him in the way that he means? 
And I think it's an important question to ask because today, you know, while for them, that's what it looked like to follow him without really following him. But today we have ways of it looking like we're following him without really following him, don't we? There are ways where it looks like you're a follower of Jesus, but really what is it we're coming for? Is it just more bread? Is it just another meal? Is there something that we have in mind and we say, well, I will follow him as long as I get this and as long as I get that? Sure. And if not, because this is what happens now, is uh, Jesus, does he give them more bread in this scenario? He doesn't. He doesn't. They come and they say, hey, why don't you give us a sign? We've got, we've got a good idea. Why don't you give us bread? He doesn't do it because he's already given them the sign. And we looked at this earlier when there was uh, a man who came and uh, his son was sick. And Jesus' response to him was, people are all the time demanding signs. Like, you want, you want signs. And then he doesn't give them a sign, but he does heal the son. And so he heals the son, but he does it from a distance. He does it in the most invisible way, like where it's not a public spectacle. It's not a way that uh, people are seeing and then seeing this as a, oh, there's a big sign. And yet he still is doing a work that this man is going to see. This man understands. It's because of this that he believes. Um, but Jesus is not interested in, uh, in doing these spectacular things to impress the crowds. And so when they come and they say, give us more bread. No, I, I gave you bread. and You missed the reason I gave you the bread. Um, but the reason I gave you the bread is so that you would understand not that you need bread and not that I can provide bread, which you can, but so that you would understand what you really need is much more than just bread. And that I am that bread. That you ate yesterday, and guess what? Today, you're hungry again. Because that bread satisfies maybe for a little while, but it doesn't satisfy forever. But what he's saying is, what I want you to do is forget about that for now. Come to me as the one who truly satisfies. And, of course, can provide bread. And we talked about this last week as well, that he even teaches in uh, the Lord's Prayer... Uh, give us today our daily bread, right? And I keep using the word bread. It keeps using, I hope you understand that we're not just talking about, you know, loaves of bread, <laughs> that, uh, that bread is a way of standing in for food in general, and then food is a way of standing in for all of our needs <laughs> in general. And so when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, he's saying, I am the one who meets your deepest needs in a way that satisfies more than anything else. And so what we end up doing, and this is the way I think in which we come to Jesus like the crowds, unfortunately, is we have in mind something that we want that's not Jesus. And we say, well, how about I follow Jesus as a way of getting this other thing? And if I follow him and can get that other thing, then fine, but if not, then not. And so we have kind of this conditional relationship with him. As long as you keep on doing these things, then you know, as long as you keep feeding us bread, we'll keep coming. But if you stop providing the meal, then we'll go somewhere else. 
And that's what ends up happening with this particular crowd, and I'm afraid that's what happens a lot today as well. And it may not be food. It may be other things. And so people uh, say, look, I want, I want my business to be a success, and so I'm going to you know, follow Jesus because I think that that's the way to, do, to get a successful business. And so you follow Jesus, and your business is booming, and then your business takes a dive, and you go, well, then no more Jesus, and walk away. And you can fill in the blank with whatever else, but that is, uh, that is a pattern that is all too common, is following Jesus on our terms, rather than seeing what it is that he has to offer. And what is it that he says that he has to offer? Why is it he's been giving them these signs so they would understand who he is? He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And as you Skip down to um, skip down to verse forty. It's for my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son, and that's by the way S O N, the Son of God, not the Sun in the sky. I don't want anybody going blind after this particular lesson. For everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. This is what Jesus has to offer. They are asking, and this is where we talked about it again last week, so short-sighted. There's a, um, they're asking for one more meal. And what Jesus is saying is, no, I want you to have life forever. I want to provide for you in a way that is way above and beyond anything you are even asking for or imagining at this point. That's what I come to offer. If you're willing to accept it. Uh, I saw a video, maybe some of you have seen this, it's an illustration Francis Chan uses where um, the rope, you can look it up, uh, there's the rope illustration where he has this big long rope and he's painted just this section of it at the end uh, with red. And he talks about it and saying you know, uh, how the whole rope is like a timeline of our existence and that uh, the little end part, the red, is what we are experiencing here and now, and that everything after that is all of eternity. And he says, it's amazing how much people will put all of their focus and attention and planning, et cetera, on just that little section and disregard the rest. And it's not that we don't pay attention to this part. Of course we do. But to pay attention to that and ignore the rest just doesn't make any sense at all. And this is what Jesus is on about saying, I will raise you up at the last day and you will have life and have life forever and have life to the full. I mean, this is what the way that he talks and the reason he says he comes. And yet the people ignore that and they focus on just a little bit and not even just a little bit, but just the, just the meal for today. Just, if you'll just feed us one more time, that's, that's all we want. Just one more time. (laughs) See, it's so short-sighted. And so we have this contrast between what it is the people are wanting from Jesus and what it is that he comes to offer. And there's almost this frustration with the crowd. Like, if you really understood, if you could just see what it is he's really offering, you wouldn't be asking for another sign. You wouldn't be asking for uh, another uh, meal in the wilderness. But instead... 
receive the life that Jesus has come to give. But verse 41 and 42. At this, the Jews there began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they have their reasons why they say, nah, we're not going to accept it. Say, we know his mom, we know his dad. We know where he comes from. Again, this is in Capernaum. This is up in Galilee. This is the area where he grew up um, in Nazareth. Say, we, we know where he comes from. He's telling us he came down from heaven. I don't buy it. And in that moment, they are turning away from not only the one who has come to offer them life, but they are turning away from even the signs they have seen that have been pointing to him, saying, yes, he is that one. Because they don't want to believe. Because the needs of their own stomachs are taking precedent over um, what it is that Jesus has come to offer. First, I want to leave us with two things. One is just looking at why it is that we follow Jesus. Do we follow him because of who he is? Or do we follow him because of what we want? Those are two very different things. And it's worth reflecting on. Do we follow him because of who he is? Or do we follow him because of what we want? And then secondly... As we look at uh, those uh, contrasts, if we are chasing after the things that do not satisfy, I hope that we will recognize those as the things uh, that are in contrast with Jesus and see the ways that they do not satisfy. And there are so many things that we can chase after to, uh, to try to fill this relational void in our lives where we're created to be in relationship with our creator and yet instead we chase after all these other things I want us to just to stop for a moment and think through the ways in which they do not satisfy that the ways in which they uh, present temporary satisfaction runs out quickly and just like uh, various addictions you just need more and more and you keep chasing more and more and more but it never satisfies and so you bounce from one thing to another to another contrast that with what it looks like to follow Jesus because of who he is and the ways in which that truly satisfies and truly meets us where we are and then also uh, helps us to become who we were created to be This is, um, as I say, a difficult series. But it's worth uh, wrestling through some of these questions, both in the text as well as in our own hearts, so that we don't end up like this crowd who look like they're following Jesus, but aren't really following Jesus. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.